0: Hi everybody, welcome back to Noir True Crime Files. I'm your host, Gigi. For this week's episode, I'll be discussing and theorizing over a cold case from 1991. For my research, I used the Charlie Project, the Doe Network, and a true crime blog called Whereabouts Still Unknown. All other sources used will be referenced in the episode and can also be found in the show's notes. 23-year-old Lisa Diane Jameson disappeared from Chandler, Arizona on the morning of November 5th, 1991. Lisa was born on September 26, 1968, and she had five siblings. I wasn't able to find out anything about her upbringing, her personality, or how she met her husband, Alan. At the time, the couple had a two-year-old son named Kyle, and they lived in the nearby town of Gilbert. Lisa was an employee at Mote Electronics, which was about 17 minutes away from her apartment. The morning she disappeared, she had finished her overnight shift, and at approximately 7.15 a.m., she gave a ride to a male co-worker to McQueen Road and Chandler Boulevard. According to Lisa's Charlie Project profile and whereabouts still unknown, when the male coworker was later interviewed by police, he told them that nothing seemed, quote, out of the ordinary during the ride but after Lisa dropped him off, the coworker said he just went home. However, this would be Lisa's last known contact with anyone. Alan reported Lisa missing that evening at 5 p.m. because she didn't pick up their son from the babysitters. According to a blog post written by Lisa's sister, Dr. Treva Free Kembro, Gilbert PD would not allow for Lisa to be filed as a missing person until 72 hours had gone by. A month later, Lisa's red, 1989 Pontiac Le Mans was found in the parking lot of an adult bookstore called Pleasure World. The store is about 20 minutes from where Lisa was last seen dropping off her coworker. In Lisa's Charlie Project profile, it states that no blood or other evidence that would have suggested Lisa disappeared were found after police searched her car. However, Dr. Free Campbell's blog post gives an extremely different account of what was found in Lisa's car, and it's honestly really disturbing. In the post, Dr. Free Kimbrough says that Lisa's car allegedly showed several signs that a struggle had taken place. Quote, the rearview mirror was broken and footprints were visible on the ceiling. The emergency brake shifter was bent. There was a large brown stain on the passenger back seat. A red fingernail lay on the floor in the back seat and a substance consistent with detergent or sand remained both on the back seat and in the trunk. The lock to the trunk was also busted. End quote. A 2004 article from ArizonaCentral.com also stated that no blood was found in Lisa's car and that there was little evidence found. The article goes on to say that Detective Scott Zuberbuehler planned to have any any evidence analyzed by the Department of Public Safety and that a hair sample from inside the car, quote, could possibly be matched to, to DNA from criminal offenders. Since that article, though, there's been no update on the results on any of the forensic testing for the blood, the hair, red fingernail, or sand in the car. We also don't know if they ever distinguished whether it was detergent or sand that was in Lisa's car. I have a theory about the sand, but I'll get to that later in the episode. When police searched the apartment that Lisa shared with her husband and Gilbert, they found her clothing and other belongings untouched. All activity on Lisa's bank account also stopped after she disappeared, and there wasn't any uh, cash or cards missing from her account. Lisa and Alan were reportedly not having any marital issues and were not having any financial or medical problems. Lisa's family last saw her the night before she disappeared. She'd asked her, mama, her mother, Barbara Collins, for $10, and she'd also told her that she was pregnant. Lisa allegedly told her mother that she was nervous to tell Alan about the new baby because he didn't want any more kids. Lisa's case doesn't appear to have gotten much media attention throughout the years. According to the U.S. Census website, as of 2019, Phoenix has a population of 1.6 million. The town of Gilbert has a population of over 250,000, and the majority is 83% white compared to the 4% of Black people that live there. Considering the racial demographics, Lisa's case didn't seem to be much of a priority from the beginning. At the time of Lisa's disappearance, her husband, Alan, worked for the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. Two years after she disappeared, Alan moved to his parents home country of Bolivia. When he left Lisa's parents Barbara and Frank adopted Kyle. Listen I understand that people deal with grief differently but leaving your child in the country just seems a bit extreme to me. Lisa's parents have always felt like Alan had something to do with her disappearance but there hasn't been any solid evidence linking him and he's also never been charged. I personally do think that Alan could be a suspect, because first of all, why would a woman in a marriage with no marital, financial, or medical issues be afraid to tell her husband about a pregnancy? It seems like Alan may have made himself clear about not wanting more kids, but it takes two. So Lisa could have been scared of his reaction, which leads me to think that there could have been some abuse within their marriage. There was also a six-year age gap between them. Alan's connection to the sheriff's office is way too convenient, in my opinion, and I kind of doubt that he was thoroughly questioned about Lisa's disappearance. In regards to his move to Bolivia, I wonder if Alan was advised to leave town. The only reason I'm hesitant to believe that, though, is because he didn't leave right away. If he had decided on his own, or if he was advised by someone else to leave town, I would think that he would leave ASAP and not two years later. Also, Alan did eventually return to the U.S., and he relocated to Kansas and married someone else. I wasn't able to find out when this happened, though. During my research, I discovered a controversial case that was mishandled by the sheriff's office. The Waddell Buddhist Temple shooting on August 9, 1991, was the worst massacre in the state's history. Six monks, one novice monk, one temple healer, and a nun were killed during the shooting, and their bodies weren't discovered until the next day. Four men that the media later named the Tuscan Four were arrested and charged in connection to the shooting and also had confessed to their involvement. It was later revealed that the Tuscan force confessions had actually been coerced, so they were cleared of wrongdoing and were released from prison after three months. The men went on to file wrongful arrest civil suits against the sheriff's office and were awarded $2.8 million in an out-of-court settlement. The actual killers, two teenage boys named Jonathan Duty and Alessandro Garcia, were arrested and charged with armed robbery and first-degree murder. Garcia confessed to police that he and Duty were robbing the temple, but Duty panicked after he thought one of the monks had recognized him, so he proceeded to shoot all of the victims to death. Garcia also confessed that they had planned the crime and had also planned not to leave any witnesses behind. He also pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 271 years in prison. Duty received 281 years in prison. The Temple shooting happened during Sheriff Tom Agnos's tenure, which was considered an embarrassment since he'd only held the position for three years. Agnos later committed suicide in 2004 after years of fighting terminal cancer. Due to the negative publicity around the handling of the Temple shooting, Agnos lost his second bid for Sheriff. This may not matter, but Sheriff Arpaio became Sheriff the same year Allen left for Bolivia, and that stands out to me. It could be a simple coincidence, though. Also, based on what happened with the Tuscan Four, it could be possible that Lisa's case honestly got lost in the shuffle, or it was stalled to prevent further bad press for the sheriff's office. As I was researching Lisa's case, I decided to search NamUs and the Charlie Project for other missing Black women in Phoenix between the ages of 16 and 40. And all of the cases I found almost all fit Lisa's. In terms of location, these women were last seen minutes away from where Lisa's car was found, and they almost all match her physical description in terms of race, height, and weight. On November 25, 1993, 36-year-old Aussie Antoinette Benford went missing. At 6 a.m., Ossie was last seen getting into a small two-door car with an unknown white male. Besides Lisa and Ossie's age difference, Ossie had a tattoo and she was missing her right index finger. 19-year-old LaShonda Devlin Washington disappeared on August 17, 2000. She had various scars and tattoos on her arms, and her middle left finger was bent due to a gun injury. 31-year-old Jeanette Marie Lamb vanished on January 10, 2002. She was last seen leaving a relative's home and got into a white pickup truck with an unknown male friend. Jeanette was not reported for missing for 30 days. It was common for her to go missing for days at a time, but never this long. September 3rd, 2006, 35-year-old Roxanne Ellison was last seen at her family's home. At the time, she was addicted to drugs. The last missing woman disappeared on November 2nd, 2002, and her name is Nayani Gillam. Nyani was 23, and her remains were found in Fountain Hills in 2005. Remember the sand theory I mentioned? Follow me here. Fountain Hills is 32 minutes, about 26 miles away from where Lisa's car was found. It borders Scottsdale, the Fort McDowell, Yavapai Nation, and Salt River Pima, Maricopa Indian community. The Fort McDowell-Yavapai Nation is a federally recognized reservation, and its largest economic operations include gas stations, a farm, a casino, and a large sand and gravel operation. Based on all these missing persons cases, I personally think that there could be a serial killer in Phoenix who is specifically targeting Black female sex workers. If Lisa was a victim of this serial killer, then she could have been an early victim. This could also explain the possible sand that was found in her car. Lisa did not live a transient lifestyle, she did not have a drug problem, and she wasn't known to go missing for days at a time. However, she was a mother like some of the other missing women. Fountain Hills, which is east of the Verde River, could be a good place to search for her remains. It's been 29 years since Lisa vanished. When she was last seen, she was 5'6", 102 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. Lisa was reportedly wearing a pink shirt blue jeans, white shoes, a silver rope necklace, and a silver herringbone necklace and had four piercings in each ear. Other than Lisa possibly being pregnant, the Doe Network lists in her profile that she had an undisclosed medical condition. Lisa may also go by the last name Collins and she would be 51 years old today. If you have any information on Lisa's case, you can contact Sergeant David Myers of Gilbert PD at 480-635-7360. Lisa's case number is 91-04106. You can also contact Justin Driscoll of NamUs at 817-240-4106. Lisa's case number is MP1052. I will also link the other missing persons profile of the other missing women in the show's notes and who you can contact if you have any information in their cases. Thank you so much for joining me on NTCF podcast. You can find the show on all major streaming platforms. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NTCF Podcast. So until the next episode, goodbye for now.